If you're just joining us, we're in this series uh, called Fight. Uh, has anybody ever said something to you, something like this? Uh, you get upset about something, and uh, they say, you know, it's just, that's just not worth it. You know, it's not a hill that's worth dying on. Have you heard that before? What we've decided is this. There are some hills that are worth dying on. There are some things that are worth it, things that are worth fighting for. And that's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, things that are, are worth fighting for in this world as a church and personally. And so last week, uh, we, we said, you know, we, we need to fight for people that are in the darkness, the people that don't know Jesus yet. That's Jesus' call on, for us that we go and make disciples. And we ended up praying that prayer, and we told a story about a 15-year-old girl that went out into the darkness with an umbrella. And that was our prayer, that give us that heart of that 15-year-old girl that was there. Now, kind of left it hanging, this is the part two of that. The part two of, of that is, well, how do we do that? How do, how do we go and tell people about Jesus? How do we, let's be honest, how do we witness? That's kind of an old word, but how do we witness? We still use that. And I think we all know there are some bad ways of witnessing, okay? Maybe you've experienced some of these bad ways, so I wanted to go and get some of these out of the way. One of these would be, I got a call the other day, and it was from a lady, and she was calling about the blood, a blood drive, and she did this, hello, can I speak to Matt Hookins? Uh, and then she went through like a script, okay? Uh, thank you so much for giving blood. And bless her heart, that's all I could think of, was just bless her heart. I mean, that would be a... It's not a fun job, okay? But I, the bad way of witness, it's not really a scripted thing, okay, that we like just, you know, hello, you should come to know Jesus as your, it doesn't really, it doesn't, doesn't work very well. It's a bad way, I think, of, of witnessing. Another way is like a bullhorn guy. We maybe talked a little bit about this before. Or uh, what do you call those uh, air horn uh, person that you would really want to get in someone's face or attention. I don't, I don't think that works very well. And, and then a friend of mine sent uh, this to me, a picture they found. It's uh, Jesus soap. Have you ever seen this before? Jesus soap. Now, if this, only, if this only works, you simply wash away your sins every night, and the devil has endorsed it. Uh, you'll never guess who sent this to me. Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, our superintendent, is like... That's his hand at the bottom, okay? You can be as bad as you want all day, and then at night, you know, Jesus soap. Uh, I don't think that probably is the best way or the, the most accurate way of, of telling people about Jesus. And uh, then there's this movie that uh, it has never, ever been nominated uh, for an Academy Award in any way, but for some reason, I think it's stinking hilarious. Uh, and uh, it's the name of the movie is Nacho Libre. Um, and here's a way I don't think is the most effective way of witnessing either. <laughs> the force method, I don't think quite works, especially with stretchy pants. Um, well, today I want us to, to dive into God's Word and uh, turn your Bibles to this book, First Peter. It's toward the back uh, of the Bible. And I think Peter has, I think, the best method or way that we can share uh, the good news or, or, or witness to people. So turn that way. And you remember Peter. Uh, Peter was one of the disciples. And, uh, you know, if, to describe Peter really quickly, he's the guy that you know that always speaks before really processing and thinking. That's kind of his MO. And he's the guy that denied Jesus. And uh, he's also the, the leader of the church after Jesus. So here's Peter writing. 
Before we go there, let me ask you a question. If, if you were at work one day and, and a buddy asked you or a coworker asked you, hey, let's go grab some lunch. Now, I don't know where you would want to go for that. Maybe, I don't know, some local place, barbecue or somewhere, and you're, you're sitting down with your friend, and if you were guys, you would be talking about, I don't know, who should the Texans draft? Uh, yeah, that's what we talk about now. Who should we draft? It should probably be a quarterback in every round. Uh, or maybe, is 290 construction ever going to be done? Uh, ever, ever going to be done? What are other things that we talk about, guys? NASCAR, yep. Are, uh, are you actually going to like fight traffic to go to the rodeo this year? Now, if girls were to get together for lunch, what, what would you talk about? That's a good question. What, would girls, what do girls talk about when they get together for lunch? I've never been there before. Uh, did you see the Fuller House episode? Uh, what about the new like options on Facebook? Uh, isn't that great? The smiley faces are not great. Or maybe what you're going to wear to the rodeo or what other people wore to the rodeo or something like that. <laughs> I did not, uh, yeah, who knows? Uh, I'll let you decide that for yourself. But uh, who knows? But when you're in that conversation, you're talking, you're with this coworker, and they suddenly say this, all right, I've got to ask you something. You know, I've, we've been working together for a while now, and I just, there's, I just noticed something that's strange about you. I mean, like, every time that we start to talk about the boss and about just how much of a jerk he is and blah, 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 and, and I know that you would never say that, but, uh, you know, you really don't do that, and you seem to work harder than everyone else, and you just are nice all the time. Even on the worst weeks, you're nice, and it kind of gets on my nerves. Uh, you're so nice. And, you know, when we start talking about uh, women or this or that, you know, you kind of stay out of that conversation, and you don't make the same jokes that we do. What is up with you? What's, I mean, what's so different about you? And essentially... That's what Peter is saying to us today. He, he's saying, there's going to come a time, and there should come a time, when someone says, what is, what's so different about you? What's the spark in your life? What's the, why do you have so much hope? Why are you different than everyone else? He says it this way in 1 Peter 3, 1-15. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to the reason for the hope that you have. What is so different about you? Now, for us to really understand what he's saying here, I think we need to kind of zoom out because sometimes we take one verse and we just get one verse and stuck there. And sometimes there's great verses like that, but to get context, we need to, to zoom out, sort of like there's this new game that Noah and I play on my phone. It's called, I think, actually, it's called Zoom In or Zoom Out. And you see a picture and you try to guess uh, what the picture is. You know what this, and you use letters too, if you, that's kind of the help. There you go, Peach, you're on it. Uh, let's try a couple more. What, is, what do you think this is? A candle, candle, there you go. Now what about, this was a little harder. You gotta use the letters, you see it? All right, braces, which were oh, awful for four years of my life, but great if you have them, kids. Uh, and then I try to do this myself, and so I made one. Do you, know, do you know what this is? It is a cat. This cat, have you seen this story this week? He gives himself selfies, okay? Why? Because cats are that full of themselves, okay? Uh, and I love this, the dogs. They're just like, wait until you put that camera down, buddy. Uh, 
It's a cat selfie, and he's sticking his tongue out at us because cats are just like that. Um, but it, we got to zoom out sometimes to get the picture. And what Peter, he, he's given us a picture in the whole, both these books, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And it begins to talk to the people. It starts in chapter 1 of Peter, and, and I'm going to kind of zoom through a little bit. And he says this, because of Jesus, because of his great mercy, you know, we've been born again. When you put your faith and your trust in, in God, you, you've been born again. You have this new life in him. And because of this, we have this inheritance. We have heaven to look forward to. We have a place that is, is being built for us. That is, it's amazing. And that's what our life is, is really focused on. And then he keeps going. In 1 Peter 14 and 16, he says this. So don't live because we have this inheritance, because we have this new life, because we have Jesus and he's shown this mercy on us. We must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scripture says you must be holy because I am holy. Now, holy is one of those church words that you use, and they, sometimes they can frighten you. Holy, you know, I'm not really, that's not really me. But what Peter is saying is be holy. Holy as Jesus was holy. Follow Jesus. If you're following Jesus, and that's what a Christian is, you should be like Jesus. And this word holy is, is, a, is a word that he uses, a Greek word, it's hagios. Hagios. And, he, and it means to be set apart. That I've taken my life, and when I gave my life to Jesus, I've taken my life and I've set it apart because it's his. It's not my life anymore. It's his life. And when that happens... Peter goes on to say, in, in 1 Peter 2, he says, you should be like aliens and strangers in this world. Now, I love that verse as a teenager. I loved it. We did actually a retreat a couple years ago. We had alien shirts. You remember that? I, I love that verse because that's what he wants us to be. He wants us to be different in this world, to be set apart in this world, just like if an alien walked in this room, which I don't know if we believe in aliens, but there you go. If he walked in this room, he would be quite different than the rest of us, okay? He would stick out. That's what he's trying to say, that we should be like that in the world. Now, what I think Peter's trying to tell us, and he's, what he's doing here is he's talking about something that maybe you've thought about before. Uh, it's this, this, world, this word called a world vision, okay? World vision. And we're going to put some things on the screen so you'll see it a little easy. But basically, a world vision is the way that you view the world. It's the lenses in which you see people, the lenses in which you make decisions, that the lenses the way that you live your life as a whole. It's, it's a world vision. Now, there's two. We're going to talk about two real quick here. One is a Christian world vision. A Christian world vision. Now, just some quick descriptions of what a Christian world vision is. We're going to put some words on the screen. If you have a Christian world vision, you believe that there is a, it's a God-centered world, that God is at the center of the world, okay? And why do we believe that? Because he's the creator. He created everything, and he's given purpose to life and to us. And if you have a Christian world vision in general, it means that you believe that sin came into the world, that God created, sin came to the world, we believe that through the garden, that we were born with a sinful nature, but then we also have personal sin. We've made choices in our life, and we've all done that, we've all sinned, and what sin does is it separates us from God, and it eventually leads to death. 
And because of sin, we need a savior. That's why we need the cross. That's why we're going to blow the roof off in a couple of weeks and celebrate what Easter is all about because we need a savior. And that leads to salvation. Salvation is this gift, this unearned gift. You can't work for it, but God has given it through us through the cross. And because we have this unearned gift, and if we accept that, heaven is now our home, okay? Heaven is our home. And, and excuse my pictures. I know everyone's not going to be able to see this, but let's just imagine this is, this is earth here, okay? We believe that heaven is our home. Earth is temporary, okay? Earth is like camping, okay? You go away to go camping, but what do you do? You go back home eventually, thank goodness, because camping is only good for a while. And that's why, that's why people like Paul say that something like this. I long for a place, this place called heaven. My citizenship, remember that, that verse? My citizenship is in another place. It's heaven. It's not here. Earth is temporary, okay? And so with that in mind... If earth is temporary, if God is our creator, that he is, through his word and through his spirit, he determines what truth really is, okay? And we are created, and our greatest purpose is to be holy, to be like Christ, okay? So earth, so in this model, maybe you've heard verses like this, we should be set apart. We should be in the world, but not of the world, okay? So our greatest goal is to be Holy, And so we're set apart. This is terrible drawing, and you probably can't read it, but I'm just doing it for my sake. Uh, so I'll remember. There you go. Be holy. That's our greatest call. And, and, and in general, we believe our life is God's life. And so it's God's rules. And that's who we're going to follow. All right? Now, the opposite end of that would be, in very general terms, a non-Christian worldview. Okay? You've got a description up there, and it really is the opposite of what we just saw. It's a mankind-centered world. And with a mankind-centered world, there is no God. There's no God, okay, that exists, would be this view. And that just naturally, the world and everything in it was created. And if that's true, there's no God, there is no sin. And quite honestly, we determine truth. We determine what right and wrong is in a mankind-centered world. And if that's the truth, then we don't need a Savior. We don't need to be saved, because I determine what right and wrong is, and I don't, need to, I don't need to be saved from anything because none of this matters. And the truth is, is that earth is home. Earth is home, and you better live up whatever amount of time that you have. If it's 72 years or 45 years or whatever it is, you need to live up every single day because that's it, okay? There is no heaven or hell so no, no need to worry about that. And feelings determine what truth really is. I felt like I should do this. I feel like this is right or this is wrong. My feelings determine what truth is. And my greatest purpose in this world is to be happy. My deter I'm trying to be happy. So I'll do whatever it takes to be happy. My life, my rules. All right? So there's these two different worldviews. Right now, here's the problem, though. And what Peter talks about, and 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 this is later on in Peter. He says, "Listen, there are these people that are going to come in. They're they're going to tell you some things that are not true. And basically, what they're saying is this: you can take these two things and you can push them together. That that God created, but you determine truth. 
And you can allow culture and your feelings to kind of mash these things together. Have you ever heard of a, a jackalobe before? A jackalobe? Have you heard of the jackalobe before? Now, a jackalobe is this creature, and mostly in the, the Midwest and the West, they talk about this, this, this creature that is the, this jackrabbit uh, that has been mixed with, I think it's an, I guess it would be an antelope uh, or deer, okay? And this, this creature exists, all right? And you've maybe even seen pictures where this taxidermy guy basically took a jackrabbit and he put these, anal- these, these antlers on the rabbit and now they're selling them everywhere. But here's the deal. It's a myth. It doesn't exist, okay? It's kind of like the Bigfoots of the world. There is no such thing as a, as a jackalope. So here is what Peter is saying. We can't just mix these things together You might have a different worldview than one of these two things, but a jackalope Christian is someone that's taking something from each side. I'm going to live in the earth and and, and make my own rules, but eventually I'm going to go to heaven. I determine truth. And so there's this mixture there, but it's it's not a reality. And can I just give you an extra bonus here? People that are, are living with a non-Christian worldview, they believe that if the pursuit of happiness is the most important thing in the world. But the truth is, they're only happy for a fraction of the time. Have you ever tried to like, fill your things with just things that make you happy? You're happy for a second, a couple of minutes. You get that new something. You get that new whatever. And it only makes you happy for a, a limited time. And then you're back to being empty again without purpose, without meaning. And the, 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 the truth is, the pursuit of, of happiness, if we would take that word happy and put joy there instead, if you would pursue holiness, it actually leads to real joy in your life. Okay, so two, two Christian, two different worldviews that are there. And what Peter's saying is, you can't mesh them together. You can't mesh them together, and this is what's gonna lead us to the best way that we can witness to people. The best way. Now, how in the world is all that going to come together? Give me a second. Have you seen that Jeff Gordon commercial? Um, where it's a, it's a couple of years ago, speaking of NASCAR. Um, it was a Pepsi commercial, Pepsi Max, and he takes this guy and he does like this test drive, and the guy's going nuts. And well, there was actually, here's just a quick video to remind you what that was. All right, so this guy, this Travis, is like, that's a, have you ever done that before? That's not a real video. They just made that up for the, and some, most of the time they do. But what they decided to do was, let's get this Travis guy, and let's really see if he, if he thinks it's real, if he, he's there in person. So check out the second video. I've never seen this one. My favorite line is, this never works! <laughs> Uh, big thank you to Nick, who had to do a lot of creative editing because Travis uh, said a few words in between that little ride. Woo. So, what's the best way to witness? People have to experience it for themselves. You can't just tell somebody about it. They have to see it. They have to experience it, and they have to see it in, the, in us. And so what Peter does is this. He says, You've got to live a holy life. Be like Christ. And he begins to describe what this looks like. And he says, you know what? You need to be self-controlled. You know, and I kind of put the opposite on the, in the parentheses, so just you'll, you'll follow with me. You know, we need to have self-control. That's what a Christian looks like, what, what Christ looks like. 
We uh, keep, keep leading me there, Robin. We need to, don't conform to the evil desires of our, our youth. We need to be full of grace, not judgment. We need to seek sincere love for others. This world is full of selfish love where we use and abuse people. But that is not the way of Jesus. And we should get rid of the malice and the hate and the hypocrisy because let's be honest, that's where a lot of people aren't Christians because Christians don't look like Jesus. And I don't want to come to church because of, of those just hypocrites because they've known people that have said that they're Christians, but they don't look anything like Jesus or, or envy or slander. But instead, let's replace those things with love, authentic relationships, content and being thankful and building people up instead. And he keeps on talking. He says things like this. Live such good lives among the pagans. That's the term for non-Christians back then. Live such good lives among the pagans that they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and they glorify God. That they see good deeds and they glorify God. Now, I've seen this word, to see these things in your life. There was a, an article that I read as a missionary kid who used to live in Papua New Guinea, which is an island just north of Australia. And in Papua New Guinea, they have this, this custom when she was growing up that when you would see someone for the first time, you know, we say, hi, what's up? We give the head nod, whatever there. They say, hi, such and such, I see you and then whatever you're doing. So like, hi, Robin, I see you gardening. Hi, Jacob, I see you picking your nose. Uh, <laughs> hi, Ben, I see you wearing a gray shirt. Uh, hi, I mean, so it will be your name, and then, which is a little scary, because you always got to be kind of wondering, hi, Matt, getting, I see you getting another donut uh, from Krispy Kreme. So it was this, that was the greeting. It was, I see you. And, and then following what that would, would be. And see, what Jesus is great at, if you look back at, at, at the word and, and Jesus' accounts and the narrative is this, Jesus sees people wherever they are. Remember, remember that guy, uh, Zacchaeus, the wee little man? Hey, I see you up in that tree. Hey, woman at the well, I, I see you where you're, where you're at. Hey, um, disciples, fishermen, I, I see you over there. And it's this call to see people for, for who they are and where they are in their life. Mother Teresa said this. She was a, an amazing woman, and she lived her life in Calcutta, India, in the midst of amazing poverty and, and suffering. And she did an interview once. And it was somebody from the West, and, and essentially someone from America is what she's saying here. And she says, the spiritual poverty of the Western world is much greater than the physical poverty of our people here, she told me. This is the reporter. As the fan whirled uh, above us, trying to alleviate the unbearable heat of the, the Indian city. You see, you in the West, you have millions of people who suffer such terrible loneliness and emptiness. They feel unloved and unwanted. I see you. These people are not hungry in the physical sense, but they are in another way. They know that they need something more than money, yet they don't know what it is. What they are missing, really, is a, lo a living relationship with God. I see you. I see you. you we've got to be able to see people from where they are at. We've got to get out of those Christian bubbles that we live in. And we have to let people see us too. We have to let people to see our lives as well. They see these good works, this good life that we're living, and they want to praise God 
our Father as well. To be an effective witness in this world, you've got to let people see your life as well. So kind of interesting history here. Real quick, there in 110 AD, uh, this is about 50 years after Peter wrote this, there was this emperor named Trajan the Emperor. And uh, there he is. He's got a statue and everything and a, and a haircut. And um, he is writing a letter to these different, these different people that are in charge of, of provinces. And there was this governor. His name was Pliny the Younger uh, that was the governor of the province of Turkey. And Pliny is in charge of this area. And basically the emperor has said, you need to make sure everyone worships the emperor, okay? And, and not that, that they thought they were gods, but they just wanted this total allegiance, that you had to bow down and worship the emperor there. And so make sure that everyone is worshiping the emperor and don't forget about those Christians. There is this, this group of growing people because the Christian faith was growing like wildfire during this time. And so don't forget about the Christians. We've heard about them, and you need to go, and you need to, to arrest them. And they just put out this, these different things and persecute them, and all this stuff was happening in the first century. And so Pliny, he had never been really exposed to Christians before. And so there's this back-and-forth dialogue between Pliny and between the, the emperor. And this is the, the kind of transaction. We have this. You can Google this. It's kind of interesting. Check it out on the screen. This is Pliny the Younger, and he says this. The sum, he's like, we, basically, we have taken these Christians we have taken these people, these followers of Jesus, and we have interrogated them. We have slapped them around, that we have we persecuted them. We've even killed some of them. And this is what we've decided that, that, that we found against them. The sum and substance of their fault or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn, and they would sing responsibly a hymn to Christ as to a God. So this is what we found against them. They meet together early in the morning, super early, even before 10, 15, and they meet together, and they worship, and they sing, and they do it responsively. We watch them, and they're just, I think they believe this thing that they're singing about, and they worship this Jesus like he was a god. This is what we found against them, okay? And he keeps going. He writes to the governor, and to bind themselves, they get together, they bind themselves by this oath, not to some crime. They don't, they're not like this crime or these criminal people that we've heard about. These Christians, they're bad people. You know, we should throw them in jail because that's the reason we're trying to find them. Not to some crime, but to commit fraud or, or they, they, not to, 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 be a, to commit theft or adultery. Not to falsify their trust. Not to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. They get together and they make these oaths not to do these things. To be like Jesus. Hey, governor, uh, we found out that, you know, we've been investigating these people, and we found out that they're sort of our best citizens. We don't know what to do with them. That's, the, that's what the, the back and forth is. They're the best among us. When this was over, it was their custom on the day that it would depart and to assemble again to partake of food. So they would get together again and hang out again, and they would eat together and hang out together. Now, this last part's kind of weird but ordinary and innocent food. Now, why did he say that? There was a rumor that was going around that these Christians, that they ate people's like flesh and drank their blood, okay? There's these rumors about, you know, I don't know, maybe snake handling people or uh, eating flesh and blood. Now, why would they start that rumor? It's because of communion. Communion, when they would get together and they would remember this is the body and the blood of Jesus. Click now. 
These people are so good, we don't even know what to do with them. That's the kind of lives that God has called us to live. And, and Peter keeps writing, and, and he says, live in harmony with one another. He's describing this life. Be sympathetic and compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil or insults with insult, but instead with a blessing. Now, just pause there a sec. Remember who's writing this? It's Peter. What did Peter do? He denied Jesus. He was quick to speak, slow to think. He was the guy that when they, they showed up to get Jesus, he cut somebody's ear off. Jesus, or this Peter who, who just turned his back on, on, on Jesus. Now, why in the world would he say this? Because he was a life that was changed. He was following Jesus, and his life was, was totally different now. He, and that's the thing that speaks to people, is a changed heart and a changed life. And he goes on and he writes, and he says, who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But if you suffer, you should suffer for what is right, then you are blessed. If you do good things, who's going to harm you for doing good amongst people? But if you are to suffer, because Jesus said, you know what? There is persecution in this. I was persecuted, and you will be persecuted as well. Now, these people, they knew what real persecution was like. They were losing their lives. People were being tortured. And I know that we feel like that we feel persecuted now in America, but we don't know anything about that, okay? And he's saying, I know that you're, you're facing this, and I know that this is an obstacle, because you know what I think the biggest obstacle in sharing our faith is? We're scared. We are afraid. Now, what are we afraid of? Is it to be killed? Not, I don't think so. I think our biggest fear so we're, we're afraid to be rejected. We're afraid that if we tell somebody about Jesus or we tell somebody about what Jesus has done for us, that what if they don't, they don't, why don't they don't, I don't know what's gonna happen if I do that. They might not like me. I might be rejected. Now, if I were to go this afternoon at my house and, and my little daughter Quinn is two, if she was in the backyard and she loves animals, she loves, to, I mean, she just, anything. She loves big dogs, little dogs, cats, everything. If I were to go in the backyard and she was playing with a snake, a poisonous snake in the backyard, which is very possible, um, she just loves everything. I hate snakes. I am deathly afraid of snakes. I will run away from a snake. But if I see my child with a snake, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to go all ninja on that snake, okay? And I will grab the snake and do whatever I have to do to get it away from my child, Okay? There are some things that are so important that we have got to overcome our fear. There's some things that are so important, and if we're going to fight for people that are in the darkness, you've got to start fighting your fears in your life. And that's what Peter says. He says, listen, don't fear what others fear. Don't be frightened. Don't you, throughout Scripture, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Do not fear. This is the words of Jesus and many others. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord, because this is the most important thing. This means everything. This, this is eternity, folks. A lot of you saw a video um, a couple of weeks ago. Actually, it was two weeks ago. Uh, and I, I wanted to play it today. It's this coach, uh, Monty Williams. He's, a coach of the, he's an assistant coach of the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder basketball team. And it just started popping up everywhere. And, and I, I think you... you, you Probably half of you have probably seen it. Maybe half of you haven't. 
But basically, the story is this. Monty, uh, he lost his wife uh, two weeks ago in a car crash where someone crossed over the middle line and hit his family uh, head-on, a uh, car with, with kids in it. Uh, mom didn't make it. Um, and so this is the video that was, was going around last week. Mm-hmm. Now that's a witness. Whew. What did you hear in that video? I'm not going to return evil for evil. That's not who we are. We're people of forgiveness, people of grace, because that's what Jesus did for us. This place, my wife, she's not here anymore. I know exactly where she is. Because her citizenship is not here anymore. In fact, it hasn't been there for a long time. Citizenship, citizenship is a place called heaven, and we can't wait to get there. How do we witness to people? How do we do it the best way possible? We do it with a changed heart and a changed life that looks like Jesus. Someone would come together with you to this week for lunch and say, hey, I want to talk to you. Maybe the questions that, and I think about this as I think about a sermon, what do we do with this? And the questions I've been asking myself are, would somebody even ask me that? Would they ask me, why are you so different? Why do you have this hope? Would they even notice a difference? Would they even notice a difference? Would they, would they have that conversation? And when that conversation comes, what would we say? Well, I don't have the answers for, what about the dinosaurs? And what about this? And what? Jesus wants you to share your story. How has your life changed? How has your heart changed? What has God done for you? That Jesus was creator. That he loved us so much that he would die on a cross for my sins and for your sins and it would give us hope and forgiveness in our eternity is not this place, but a far greater place. Let me show you what Jesus has done for me. And I don't have all the answers, but I'm seeking the one, the most important one. So would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? I don't think we could uh, leave the service today if, if I didn't ask you the question. Is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? Have you given your heart and your life to him? Have you put your faith and your trust in him? If you haven't, today can be the day where you say, I wanna follow you, Jesus. Or maybe you're here today and you said, you know what, I've said a prayer a while ago, but to be honest, my life is not set apart. I am not seeking holiness in my life. It's my life and it's my rules. That's the way I've been living. I've been kind of a jackalope Christian. Today's the day where you say, you know what? I give you my life, God. It's yours. Take it. Use it. Mold me and shape me. I am not perfect, but God, I want to seek your perfection in my heart and my life. Maybe that is your prayer today. Or maybe your heart is broken because you know someone today that is apart from God. And you're seeing the hurt and you see their life and you see the loneliness and the destruction and the brokenness and you... You want to be a voice. You want others to to come to know Christ. And maybe your heart is just pouring out to to, to God names of people that desperately need him. Would you join me as I pray today? God, you are so good to us, Lord. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the gospel. 
that we were separated from you because of our sin, but because of what you did, not because of us. You have made a way that heaven is for real, that life on this earth, although temporary, we can have a full life in you as we pursue you and you can follow you. God, we lift up every prayer in this room. Lord, for the one right now who is praying that to follow you for the first time. God, I pray that you would give them courage to, to just confess their sins to you right now. Lord, to, to confess that you are Lord, to confess their trust in you, to begin to, to, to start the journey right now today. God, for those who, are, who have not set their life apart, that have just been living this tension between the world and, 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 and you, Lord, God, I pray that today would be the day they say, God, you are my Lord. I am no longer Lord. You are the Lord of my life. God, make me holy as you are holy. And Jesus, we lift up every person, every coworker, every family member, every son, every daughter that is distant from you now. May our lives be a testimony to the power of the cross, to the power of your love, that your love can change anyone, can change us in the now and can change the future. Make us holy as you are holy, Lord. Give us opportunities. Give us courage to get over our fear for the things that matter the most. God, we know that you can help us do it because you have given us a spirit that is inside of you. The same spirit that raised you from the dead lives in us. This Holy Spirit that is going to use your word Lord, and, and moments, key moments to be a witness to people. Lord, give us the courage to step up in those moments, Jesus. Lord, may it be so here on Sunday, and may it be so every day of the week at, at our jobs, on the, 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 the sports field, at school. Lord, wherever we're out on the bus, in cars, in conversations, Lord, may they just drip with you. Lord, we love you. Lord, give us the strength to do what you've called us to do, Lord, and keep our eyes focused on you in all that we do. We pray these things in your precious holy name. Amen.